0: It is great to be with you today. Uh, You might want to grab a seat, grab the notes out of your handout. Uh, Before we jump in today, I just want to remind you that this is Memorial Day weekend. And so, yeah, we're very, very excited. I want to wish you a happy Memorial Day. Uh, Just a recognition, Memorial Day is when we remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice. For uh, the freedoms that we actually enjoy every day. And so we want to just make sure that we enter, sort of, into this space in a posture of honor, right? And when when I say uh, the ultimate sacrifice, I'm talking about those who have laid down their life in service of their country, again, for a recognition, right, that we, we have freedoms that we, not only do we enjoy these dreams, but by and large, friends, we take them for granted. And so it's important for us every once in a while to just stop and to, to have a, a moment where we honor those who have uh, who have laid down their lives. Can we do that right now and just say thank you? Uh, thank you for that. In In a... In a very real way, every single Sunday is like a Memorial Sunday. And the reason why is because every Sunday we recognize that Jesus Christ has laid his life down for the freedom that we enjoy, the freedom that we have from the burden of sin, the freedom that we have from the the, uh, the, the law and the burden of law, and the freedom we have to to live free in relationship with God. And so that's one of those things where we, we just recognize, the, and the reason why Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be free is because of love. And that's what we've been talking about these last four weeks. We've been talking about love. This series is called Love Always. And we've really, it's been a deep dive, hasn't it? It's been a a dive into how foundational and how central this issue of love is. And we talked about this as, as a follower of Jesus. What that means is we look at his leadership and the way in which he led and the, what he taught in terms of his leadership, and then we try to follow after him. He said, love is the thing. And so as his followers, we want to make love the thing. We want to make love the big deal. And last week we talked about his kingdom and we talked about the reality that it's a diverse kingdom. Uh, The commitment as Jesus followers then is to reach across all sorts of man-made barriers and man-made walls. To create unity, right? So that means across socioeconomic lines, across educational lines, generational lines, racial lines. We cross these barriers in love because that's what Jesus did. Jesus had a ministry of reconciliation. And what Jesus did, the the scriptures teach us that Jesus has reconciled us to God. So in this vertical relationship, we are now reconciled to him. And he has reconciled us to one another. The apostle Paul writes it this way from Ephesians 2. He writes, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. And again, if if you want to circle the word Gentiles, just as a reminder, Gentiles literally means everybody else right, so Jews and everybody else, and, and the word itself means peoples or nations, but, but those are sort of the two groups that Paul's talking about here, that, uh, that uh, Christ has united Jews and all peoples into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and, look at this, our hostility toward each other was put to death. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. That's just such a beautiful place to start when we're talking about love. And last week, friends, I want you to know, um, I I got a, a bit of feedback from Overlake last week. I I got, you know, not like one week's worth of feedback or two weeks' worth of feedback. More like a year's worth of feedback happened last week and... uh I was thinking it's the closest thing I've ever been to being viral, right? Like that, that, that was last week. People were uh, waiting, and it was actually so amazing. And and it only reaffirmed what I had already sort of uh, voiced in in w- w- you know several ways before. But over like it just it reaffirmed the love that I have for you. And the fact that this journey of love and pressing into love, this is exactly what it is that Jesus is calling us to pursue. And I'm just so proud to be on this journey with you. And, and, and so uh, that, that's for free. But, but the idea is we want to go after this concept even just a little bit deeper than we have in the, the three weeks previous. And so you'll see the title of the message on, on the top. It's called Enemy Love right? Enemy love. And what it is that Jesus taught and, and what he modeled about loving one's enemies. And if you're, if you're starting to fill in the blanks, this first one is a question that we have to identify. If we're going to talk about enemy love, and that is the question, who is my enemy? Who is my enemy? And you have to ask it personally. I, I can't answer it for you. You have to, you have to wrestle with this identification yourself. Because an enemy is not just another nation. You know, I I grew up in the 80s in the Cold War, um, you know, and so the idea of the Soviet Union was like as a posture enemy to the United States, right? So it it could be that, but that's not actually what I think this is all about. Um, I think oftentimes uh, an enemy could be a family member in in a relationship that's gone sideways or a spouse uh, in the heat of an argument. A coworker who thinks about politics different than you. And we've even in this series talked about how wherever you are on any issue, you're on one side. And then there's going to be somebody who's on the other side, right? There's always one side and the other side. And where you are, you know, you don't think you're flawless in your position. You just think you're righter than they are over on that side. So, So you recognize there's a spectrum. You're on one side. Somebody's on the other side. And the challenge then is you grow closer to Jesus. If that person grows closer to Jesus, the idea is, by definition, you'll grow closer to one another in love. You might never see eye to eye on that issue particularly, but you will be closer to one another as you draw closer to his gravitational pull of love. So for you, you know, maybe it's a person in your life that you don't want to talk to. It's a person that you'd rather talk about. Uh, we know in this fallen world, the enemies often Im- imagined on the other side of racial lines or across borders or on the other side of a battlefield or across religious lines, uh, maybe for you your enemy is somebody who has wounded you deeply and personally and so when i start talking about an enemy a, a face immediately comes to mind because of the way you were abused or the way you were betrayed or or some deep personal wound that you've sustained by this person and maybe you're here and you're thinking you know i i really can't think of any enemies that i have pastor mike i'm just that kind of a person you know i just i'm really that Awesome. And, and, uh, and if that's you, I just want to ask it another way. Who is it in your life who annoys you the most? Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's the person. See, you're just too weak-sauce to define them as an enemy. But that person that you'd rather avoid, that you'd rather not talk to, that person, that, you know, that's the enemy. And, and if we're going to do this hard work of love, this reality that love is, it's not something that you fall into, but love is a choice, it's a decision, love's an action, it's a mantle that you pick up and you wear, then then we need to start where Jesus starts. And and I'm going to teach you a passage of Scripture right now. We're going to go through it, and and for some of you, this will not be new at all, but again, we're going to try to delve a little deeper into it. This is, without question, the hardest passage in the entire canon of Scripture. It's, it's the most challenging. And I just want to give you guys like the heads up. This is not going to be a sermon that makes anybody feel uncomfortable. It really won't. Like you're not going to sit here and squirm. Like he, but here's the, 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 sort of the disclaimer on the front end. It's ridiculously hard to live out. That's the disclaimer. And it's true for me. It's true for every Jesus follower. This is just ridiculously hard. And Jesus just joyfully gives it. It's like he's not even concerned that this is so stinking hard to follow. I do want to let you know this. That anywhere you go in the world, the whole non-Christian world, when they know anything about Jesus, they know this passage about him. If you're ever in a university campus and you sit in, uh, in that comparative religions professor uh, goes, you know, one half of an afternoon talks about Jesus, this is probably the passage he goes after. Because it is so completely unique. It's not like any other philosophy out there. It's not like any other theology out there. I mean, this is what makes Jesus just this incredible, unique, like what was going on in this guy kind of a thing. So let's jump into it. It's from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. Jesus is teaching. He says, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants, you to, bar- who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And, you know, we're sitting here and we're in church and we're all feeling pretty good. You know, sun's out and we're like, oh, Jesus, that's wonderful. I love it. Good job, Jesus. Jesus. And, and when I read this, and, and I just have to be really kind of open and vulnerable with you, like when I evaluate myself against this passage, I'm actually quite generous with myself. I'm like, you know, you're, you're pretty good at this stuff, man. And, and I, I'm pretty kind as a default posture, and I'm fairly gracious, just kind of in the ebb and flow of life, and I'm fairly patient along the way. And it's like, oh, man, you're pretty good at this, you know, right up to the moment where I'm not good at it at all. Right, It's like, oh, I can take a few hits here and there, but suddenly, ooh, that stings, and I want to strike back hard. And, and that's kind of the reality with this teaching is we're all sitting here, we're feeling pretty good, no enemy pressing in on us right now. It's easy for us to think about and even to agree with this challenge to love. But friends, it's ridiculously difficult when it becomes personal, to make it practical in our lives. And so here's the fill in, and again, it's just a summarization of what Jesus just said. We are to love always, that's the the name of the series, we're to love always, even our enemies. And the moment you start getting personal, and the moment you start getting practical about this passage, instantly there are a whole list of yeah, buts that come up. Jesus, yeah, but what about this scenario? Yeah, but what if this is happening to me? Yeah, but what if a person tries this? What if a person does this? Yeah, but what if a nation does this? Like this, this is horrible foreign policy Jesus has given us right here. And yet we've got to wrestle with it if we're going to be followers of Jesus' leadership. This is what he says. So let's just jump in. He starts, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's standing on the foundation of the law. This is from Exodus 21, 24. And the law is actually a huge step forward in morality in a barbaric ancient world. The law that says, look, the punishment needs to match the crime." That's what the law says. And it's a massive step forward in morality because, you know, in the barbaric world, somebody stubs your toe, you loft their head off, right? Like that's, you just, you do whatever you feel like doing. You could, you could totally just overdo the punishment side of the equation for any slight or offense. And so what the law says is, no, 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 actually let's rein this thing in. No, the, the punishment needs to match the offense, right? There needs to be a, an evening out here, a level, and we, we actually call this justice. This is a blind justice kind of a thing. And so Jesus stands on that place, again, a place where the, the morality, you know, vaulted forward in the ancient world. He stands on that, and then he points us to some place higher and holier. And he says, but look, let's, let's go after this idea where you don't demand a tooth at all. Where, where even if your eye gets gouged, you're not trying to gouge out anybody else's eye. That's where we're going. And then he says, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This is the opposite of the Cobra Kai mantra, which says, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Are you with me? Cobra Kai? Karate Kid? Yeah? Some of you need to Google Karate Kid, Karate Kid, right now. You're just looking up. Oh. This is just a little discipleship moment, guys. Karate kid, change your life. Okay. (laughs) That's right. Here's the thing, you guys, and I mean this sincerely. Jesus putting this mantra on the dojo wall gets him no students. Nobody signs up for Sensei Jesus dojo. Are you following me? Right, turn the other cheek is not winning anybody into this discipline. I, I hope you're following me. This is why it's so radical. Then he says, if somebody wants to sue you for your tunic, give him your cloak as well. Make sure they match. Make sure they're stylish, right? And it's no, but oh, but that's my favorite. That's my Abercrombie. That's my, you know, Ralph Lauren. Like, no, no, just you give it, right? You're, you're seeking to bless. Then he says, If someone forces you to go one mile, you volunteer two. And this is a reference to a Roman law at the time, which gave Roman soldiers the right to grab any Jewish civilian and force them to carry their pack one mile. Roman roads had mile markers along them, just like uh, our highways do today. So it's easy to know where one mile ends. And Rome, remember, was the oppressor. They had invaded, they had conquered, and they were, um, you know, they, were, they were living in and oppressing the Jewish community. And Jesus says, if your oppressor is forcing you to go one mile, you double the mileage. Now, no Jew listening to Jesus in this moment would have responded well. Just think about this for a moment. Romans and Jews did not share any religious sentiment whatsoever. No theological tradition. In fact, they had incredible disdain for each other's views. They didn't agree on a single thing politically. How could they? If you lined up 20 hot topics, the, the, the Romans and the Jews would have been on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Romans held all the power in the homeland of the Jews. And it was incredibly dehumanizing. Think about this. When a Roman soldier would would say to a Jewish man or woman that you have to carry my pack, it didn't matter what they were in the middle of. They couldn't say, but I have to get these crops to market. They they couldn't say, oh, but I have to, to farm. I have to continue farming today. If I don't fish today, my family won't eat. There was no excuse. They had to drop their commerce or their crops or leave their farming tools and immediately pick up a Roman pack, which weighed probably about 70 pounds. And began to walk a mile. And if you've been to Israel, you know how hot it is most of the year. And so they had to walk in the heat a mile. And then they'd have to drop the pack when they were let, you know, free to do so by this Roman soldier. And then they had to walk a mile back to pick up the stuff that they were interrupted in the midst of doing. So all that's going on. And Jesus says to the oppressed, serve. Double the mileage. Serve 100% more than you're required to. But Jesus, I don't agree with them. And he says, no, I know. Serve. Oh, but Jesus, they're pushing me around. It's so humiliating. I, I, I know. And the way forward is to serve. Don't argue with them. Don't demonize. Serve. Wow, right? Like if we're in those shoes, we. oh, yeah, that's difficult. And as long as we're talking about Rome, this stuff is still easy. But, but Christians today get on the wrong side of this all the time. Where we end up fighting for our rights instead of serving and caring for those we might disagree with. Instead of going the extra mile for those on the other side of an issue. And what Jesus says is, don't worry about winning the fight. Win the glory for God. Don't worry about clinging to your rights. Reveal the goodness of God. Turn the other cheek. Do not resist. Who ends up winning? God ends up winning. How hard is this to pull off in a fallen world? It's supremely, ultra, mega, difficult to pull off in this world, right? This is so hard. And the most radical thing Jesus says in all of this passage is the simple challenge, love your enemies, love your enemies. It's not just turn the other cheek and tolerate your enemies. It's not just, you know, keep your head down and avoid conflict with your enemies, it's actually proactively love them and pray for them and bless them and serve them. Friends, this passage is as easy as pie until you have an enemy. It's the easiest thing in the world until it isn't. And it's so hard. I'm going to show you a video of, uh, it's, it's a super cute video, but I have to set it up. It's Pastor Gary's little kiddos, and they're, uh, the, his youngest son is describing to his mom the crucifixion, and it's actually just super cute. You're not going to understand a single word, but just, you, you'll see that he's like kind of, he's, he's miming it, and he's pointing to his feet and his hands, and, and he's, he's like, he's just so excited to talk to his mom about it that he can't even get the words out, you know, and and so she's asking him questions about the crucifixion, and then she asks, was it right what they did to Jesus? And then his older son responds, and, I, and you'll be able to understand that. So let's go ahead and watch this video together. Uh-huh. Is his belly? No. Mm-mm. His fingers are. hmm. He could die. Who is this? Um, it was God, and he, and it was so finished, and he. Crossed, put Jesus in there, and those hangers um, they're on the and um, G- those hangers were on the, his feet. And these on all the his fingers and his fingers. And then what happened? Uh, he's, he's killed. He's killed. Why did but, they do that? Because uh, cause, cause the, the people said, Kill him. Do you think that was the right choice to make? No. No. I'll just kill him back. Would that solve the problem? Okay, can we just agree that's the most adorable thing you've seen in a week, right? So cute. So he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it right, you know? He knows all the story. And then she says, is that right, what they did to Jesus? And And his older son says, No. I'd kill him back. Right? And isn't that natural to say? Isn't that normal to say? Isn't just that the, the most human response possible? That Yeah, that was an incredible injustice. And so because they killed Jesus, I'd kill him back. It's totally normal. And yet it just happens to be for the Jesus follower, the exact wrong response are you following with me that it's the exact opposite of what jesus is talking about here it's the exact opposite of how jesus modeled this for us he said no no the way to deal with your enemies is to love them it's to serve them it's to pray for them it's to bless them man this is hard you know, the, the clearest example I've ever seen of this, I was over in Israel, and, and I had a chance to meet two dads, and this was a, a Jewish father, and he had lost his 14-year-old daughter to a Palestinian suicide bomb, and, and this was a Muslim father who had lost his 13-year-old daughter to an Israeli soldier's bullet they both had incredible loss. And right after they sustained th- this loss of their beautiful daughters, they both wanted an eye for an eye. They both wanted to tear out every tooth they possibly could. But then they realized that would only perpetuate this cycle of violence in this nation that's already ripped apart. And so they began to pray for their enemies. And they began to seek ways that they could actually Meet and connect with their enemies and and these two dads became friends and then they became best friends and now they travel around this war-torn nation and they speak to groups about 300 times a year that the only way forward is love. It's amazing and, and I want to tell you as far as I know neither of them have changed their religious posture what they believe in terms of their religious convictions, but in this regard, they are followers of Jesus, more incredibly following this passage than so many Jesus followers I know. That's when it becomes real. When you have an enemy, this becomes really, really difficult. If you're filling in the blanks, the next one is enemy love isn't easy, but it's good. It's not easy, but it's good, and it's what Jesus calls us, into. Matthew 5, 44, he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you jump into this, Jesus says, if you begin to enter the stream and follow my way in this, he says, you'll be true children of your father in heaven. He's the one who gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. Now friends, we know what a blessing sunlight is. Living in the northwest, it's impossible not to know, right? We we all just feel different when the sun comes out. It's out today. Praise the Lord. Like I am so excited. We're we're happy, we're energetic, we're productive. We're friendly. It's amazing. There's a Seattle freeze all year long, but then the sun comes out. It's like, hey, how are you, neighbor? It's your turn. Go ahead, you know. It's just so different the way that the blessing of the sun comes out. And we know it's a blessing. We all experience the glory of the God uh, of our Lord through the sunlight that he pours down on us. And we enjoy it greatly 19 days a year. It's just absolutely the best. So yeah, we'd know that that's, you know, that's the good stuff. And then I always assumed that the metaphor was, you know, sun was blessing and then rain is the bad stuff. It's the hard stuff. It's the curses. It's the, it's the, the gross stuff that happens that that happens in every life too. So rain or sunshine happens to the good and the bad. And this rain, the bad stuff happens to the, to, you know, everyone to the, the good and the bad as well. And, and, and then I realized that that actually is interesting. I think that way because of my posture toward the sunlight and the rain here in the Northwest and, and maybe because of that song that goes, you know, sunshine and rain, joy and pain, sunshine and rain, you know, that one, uh, that's just milly Vanilli theology, right? Uh, if, you, if you gotta blame something, blame it on the rain, yeah. Are you with me? Okay, that's a good joke. You need to Google. Millie Vanilli. Sorry, this is another discipleship moment. The, you know, Karate Kid at Millie Vanilli. You'll thank me for that. So here's the deal. I, again, I had a chance to go to Israel in the, the, the Swelter Fest of August. And and on it, it was so hot. I mean, you would just you, you're just dripping. And so you get out of the shower, and you're just dripping. I you know you see you see these little kids on the road, and they're they're melting coins in the sidewalk. You know, and it's just so hot. We're out in the wilderness. This is the wilderness that Jesus went out in, and he was he was uh, fasting in this for forty days, forty hours. I was out in that wilderness, and here's what you understand when you're over there. You realize that rain is life that rain is replenishment, it's rejuvenation, it's resurrection. You realize rain is pasture, so your your flocks can eat, That, that rain is sustenance, that there is no survival without it. And suddenly this passage just becomes brand new, that God brings the blessing of life and productivity and vitality, the sunlight of his glorious blessing to both the good and the bad in this world. And then he brings the refreshment and the rejuvenation and the, and the life to both the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, the posture of our Father God toward all of humanity is what? Blessing. It's blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And friends, this is why Jesus says, this is why you'll be a true child of your father in heaven when you love those who curse you. Because guess what? That's what God does. God loves those who are against him. God loves those who curse him. God loves those who run from him. And if you're gonna be his child, that's what you have to do as well. You wanna go after those who are opposed to you. That Jesus doesn't want us to win fights with our enemies. He wants us to win our enemies And the only way to win our enemies is to offer them love when they offer us hate. It's to serve them our best when they serve us their worst. This is Jesus washing the feet of Judas. This is Jesus forgiving and reinstating the one who denied him three times publicly. This is Jesus when he is stretched out on that cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive the ones who spit on me. Forgive the ones who beat me today. Forgive the ones who ripped my beard from my face. Forgive the ones who put that that crown of thorns on my head. Forgive the ones who mocked me by putting a purple robe on me. Forgive the ones who nailed me to this cross. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And I've been preaching this kind of outlandish love now for about the last five or six years, and And the reason why I've landed here is because this is the way that Jesus has loved me. It's the way that Jesus has pursued me. It's the way that Jesus has continued to come after me and poured grace upon grace upon grace in my life. And, And I know that people give up on church from time to time because it's not a place of love and it's not a place of grace. But they're drawn to Jesus because of his love and because of his grace. And friends, that's what we're going after got a piece of feedback this week from a a guy named Perry and he's been a missionary and a pastor and he's been journeying with us for a while and he writes Overlake is a slice of heaven he says and it's because of the way you value everyone you dignify everyone you love everyone and why do we do this we do this because that's how Jesus has loved us You know, friends, if I could just be very, very personal for a moment, before you ever thought to say yes to him, he was pursuing you in love. When you were far from Jesus, he loved you, came after you. When you were opposed to Jesus, he loved you and came after you. When you were an enemy of God, Jesus loved you, and he was kind to you and gracious to you, and he sought to woo your heart back to himself that's what Jesus does. The apostle Paul writes this in Romans 5:8 he says but god demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners christ died for us. You know i like to go back to that roman backpack for a moment. I'm sure every roman soldier i don't know this but i can only sort of imagine what it might have been like to be a roman soldier ...in that time and stationed in that place. And I can only imagine that every time on a hot afternoon in Israel... ...every time a Roman soldier conscripted a Jewish man or woman to carry his pack... ...that what he got instantly from them was resentment and complaining, disdain. And I'm sure that only added to that soldier's own frustration at the heat and at being there and having to, to, to be the oppressor there. And, and that cycle only increased his sense of dehumanizing the Jewish population more. And so it was a spiral of negativity. And, and so you can only imagine a, a Roman soldier's surprise when a Jesus follower responds differently. A Roman soldier says to a Jesus follower, Hey, you, grab this pack. You need to carry it one mile for me. And the Jesus follower says, Sure, let's go. And joyfully picks it up and begins to walk with the soldier, chatting him up along the way. And and after they've gone a mile together, the soldier says, okay, you can put it down now. And the Jesus follower says, well, you know, I'd actually be happy to carry it another mile for you. And the Roman soldier looks at him like he's, you know, crazy and says, why would you want to do that? And the Jesus follower says, well, because that's the way Jesus showed his love to me. And so that's the way I'm trying to show Jesus' love to you. And what would the next question be? Who is this Jesus? Tell me about this Jesus. Right? It would instantly increase the intrigue. It would instantly say, hey, wait, something is wrong here. This is not the normal paradigm of oppressor and oppressed. And and how is it that, that this Jesus figures in to this whole new thing? Well, I want to tell you, if we love, if we live in the love of Jesus and we practice the love of Jesus, then I'm sure we'll see people fall in love with Jesus. And if you'd write this down somewhere in your notes, the extra mile is irresistible. It's irresistible. I mentioned a guy named Bob Goff a couple of weeks ago. Bob's written a few books, and they're really compelling. And in this book that he wrote called Love Does, he tells the story of Charlie. It's in quotes. It's not his real name. But Charlie lived in Uganda as a young child. He was abducted by a witch doctor in Uganda. And this witch doctor named Kabi... Uh, he uh, tried to sacrifice, it was a child sacrifice gone wrong. He tried to sacrifice this young boy named Charlie, and Charlie survived, but he was, his body was mutilated, and so Bob tells the story of how love comes alongside of this young boy named Charlie, and, and how love carries him forward, and there's all kinds of victory about that story. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. But then in this next book that Bob writes called Everybody Always, he tells the story of Kabi, this witch doctor. And so it's kind of interesting to see because in Uganda, it actually is illegal for the practice of so much of what witch doctors do. It's illegal to kidnap children. It's illegal to sacrifice children. So all this stuff is on the books already. But in Uganda, people are terrified by witch doctors. And so no one had ever brought one to trial for their crimes. And so Bob, he's an American and he's a lawyer and he's like, hey, this isn't right. And so he enters in again, he's already a part of the story of Charlie but he says, no, no, we got to make this right. And so he brings Kabi to trial, and he gets him thrown in prison for the rest of his life. And, and it's just kind of this beautiful landmark thing. The first time a witch doctor has ever been brought to trial and put in prison for the crimes as a practicing witch doctor. So it's, it's just kind of a crazy story, and again, far removed from us. But then here's what Bob writes, and this is not so far removed. Bob writes, the moment he attacked Charlie... Kabi became my enemy. He wasn't a little evil. He was pure evil. It's easy to talk a good game about loving your enemies until you have one. Right? And so Bob is a Jesus follower. And Bob knows what Jesus says about loving your enemies. And now Bob feels like, oh, I actually have an enemy. I know exactly who my enemy is. and, And so I know what Jesus is calling me to do. And so Bob shows up. At this prison in Uganda to visit Kabi and he visits him and he chats with him for a while and then he shows up again and and he brings some gifts for Kabi he starts to bless him a little bit and then he shows up again to visit Kabi and to bless Kabi and then he realizes Bob realizes that he actually cares for Kabi and somewhere along the way Kabi asks him hey why do you keep showing up in this prison you know, let me remind you, you're the reason I'm here in this prison, right? Like, it's your fault. You know, you persecuted me, prosecuted me. And so you're you and again, Bob says, no, I didn't do it. You did, you know, you started it. So anyway, <laughs> but Bob answers him. Bob says, the reason why I'm here and the reason why I'm blessing you and the reason why I'm, I'm bringing gifts, I care about you. He says, the reason why is because that's how Jesus cared for me. And I want you to know that's what Jesus calls me to do. ...as well, to my enemies, and and you're the closest thing I have to an enemy... ...and so I just want you to know, Kabi, I love you. And then, an interesting thing happens. Kabi begins to ask about Jesus. Bob writes this. He says, then something happened. Kabi said he wanted to put his faith and life in the strong and kind arms of Jesus. When he did this, you could say he was coming to Christ... But in a way, I was too, because I was moving away from just agreeing with Jesus to doing what he said when he talked about loving my enemy. Powerful stuff, right? And so the story kind of continues, and then Bob realizes that, you know what, uh, in this whole prison that Cobby's in, I bet there are a lot of people who don't know about Jesus. And so Bob talks to the warden and says, hey, can I just share a bit about uh, Jesus to the whole prison? And, and the warden says, no, absolutely not. It's against the rules. And Bob says, well, what about Cobby? Would you let him share? And the warden says, yeah, that'd be fine. And so this witch doctor, who's now a Jesus follower, stands up in front of the entire prison and begins to talk about Jesus. And Bob said he butchered the theology. (laughs) Bob said, after hearing him speak, I wasn't sure that I was even a Christian anymore, you know. But he said during the entire time Kabi was giving his testimony, you could have heard a pin drop because here was something that none of these men had ever seen. A witch doctor who terrified them, who dealt in the shadows, in evil. This man who had given his life to Jesus and had the grace and the love of Jesus flood into him was a changed person. You know, it's interesting. Bob realized that he had destroyed an enemy. He had destroyed an enemy by loving them into a place of friendship and I want you to understand it's the only way enemies are destroyed if you hate your enemy you entrench them and multiply them but if you love your enemy there is a chance that perhaps you will destroy them by creating a friend and there, there's more to the story, and again, I, I do recommend the book because I think you'll find it incredibly winsome and, and incredibly empowering. But, uh, but Bob Goff ends up kind of adopting Charlie at the front end of this story, and he brings him to be a part of his family. And, and then he realizes through Cobby that, you know what, witch doctors are actually quite isolated. They don't have good friends, and not only that, but most of them are illiterate. They don't read or they don't write. And so Bob says, you know what, we're going to start teaching witch doctors how to read and write. So they start these schools for witch doctors. There have been uh, hundreds and hundreds of these witch doctors graduating the school uh, that, that Bob Goff has started for them. They teach them to read and write with one book. Do you know what it is? The Bible. That's right. They teach them the Bible. They teach them to read and write through the Bible, and lives are transformed through this process. And I just want you to see all of it is how. It's when somebody has an enemy... And then decides, instead of hating them, I'm actually going to come close. And I'm going to try to love them. And I'm going to try to bless them. And I'm going to try to pray for them. And I'm going to try to serve them. Because in doing that, an enemy might be destroyed. And a friend might be born. You know, as we wrap this whole series up, this whole week I'm processing with Jesus. And I'm, I'm just asking him, Lord, what... What do you want from me? Like what? How do you want me to treat everybody? And and the answer I just get back is love. Well, Jesus, how long? How long are we supposed to love? Always. Love always. And that's how Jesus has loved us. The love of God through Jesus Christ is everlasting. It's unconditional. It's permanent, it's settled, and it's yours. And so receive it and then offer it. And this kind of brings me to the last question. If you're filling in the blanks, it's this. Who is God calling me to love? Who is God calling me to love? And I want you to think, you know, who is that enemy in your life? You know, even better, who is that? You think, you know, pastor, I can love all of these people, all of these types of people, all these groups of people. I can love all the way to here. I just can't love this group of people. I'm not pointing to you guys specifically, just so you know. <laughs> and I just want you to know, whoever is the caveat for you, whoever is the parenthetical, except this person for you, that's the person that God is calling you to love. And I think it's ridiculously difficult. I think it's very near impossible to do. But I know as we follow Jesus and ask for his help, he will empower us to do what he calls us to do. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Jesus, we do ask for your help. And we know through your teaching and through your example that you call us to love the ones who are like us, and the ones who are near us, and the ones who love us back. And you also call us to love the ones who are unlike us, and the ones who are far from us, and the ones who not only don't love us, but maybe hate us right now. And Jesus, we just confess to you that on our own strength, with our own abilities, with our own levels of courage right now, that We're not good at this, that we will fail at this. And so we invite your help right now. Jesus, we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and fill us. We ask for you to show us what it looks like to take practical steps, to love. We we want to follow you. And as followers of yours, that means that we trust your leadership in this area. So lead on, Jesus, and we will follow you. We love you, and we pray all these things in your precious name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.